So today I'd like to take a look at the last two Brahmavahara, which are mudita, usually translated as appreciative joy, and then equanimity or upeka, the heart mind that's deeply at ease, unbalanced, not wanting anything, not not wanting anything. And although in some ways it might feel a little bit rushed, I still think it's useful to know what these qualities are and start to have a sense of how they feel for each of you because being able to recognize them is what helps them to grow and strengthen and the more we can recognize these qualities touch into them they become more easily available and as we get more skilled at releasing what gets in the way of them more and more they start to become actually the default setting of our hearts and minds so just a reminder where mudita and equanimity are located in that diamond model that I offered on opening night. So metta is the foundation at the base point. And when that metta goodwill turns towards suffering, it opens into compassion. The resilience that can meet pain of all kinds with care. And then on the other side of the scale, when that same goodwill of metta turns towards what's going well, it can flower as mudita, appreciative joy. And this is an uplifting quality of delight, of gratitude, of appreciation, and it refreshes and renews our energy. Then from having trained ourselves to open equally to the 10,000 sorrows, the 10,000 joys, we come together in equanimity, which is that profound balance and peace of heart and mind. And I situated equanimity at the top of the diamond, because in most of the lists of the Buddha's teachings, equanimity is always the last on the list, which might suggest that it actually requires all the pre previous qualities to develop before we can get to true equanimity. And I'll say more about that later. First, just focusing a little bit more on mudita, appreciative joy, sympathetic joy, altruistic joy. So traditionally, the emphasis has been on our capacity to feel happiness or joy for another person's happiness, success, good fortune. And in the method of practice that we usually do in the insight tradition, we exclude ourselves from mudita practice. And instead, we focus on the happiness, the success, the good fortune of a benefactor, then a good friend, then a neutral person, a difficult person, and then lastly, all beings. I'll come back to the actual methods of doing that practice soon, but first, I just want to acknowledge for many people, accessing joy of any kind, let alone joy at someone else's happiness, it can be quite a stretch. It's pretty common for people to struggle with this particular Brahmavihara. And in some ways, that's not so surprising. You could say the dominant values of mainstream society are oriented to individualism and to competitiveness. So it makes sense that our heart's first response when we hear another person's success or happiness is not always to feel joy. It's actually pretty common instead to fall into what's known as the far enemy of mudita, which is envy, jealousy, resentment. 
So even though on a surface reading, mudita practice might sound kind of lightweight or fluffy, especially when compared to the gravity of compassion, mudita can be quite challenging to access because it um, brings us face to face with some pretty deep individual conditioning, societal conditioning. And as I was saying to Hannah, we need to recognize what the conditioning, what the obstacles are, so that we can release them and then access the renewal and the refreshment that Mudita offers us. Now, because joy is sometimes dismissed as a kind of a lightweight quality, I just want to emphasize that in the Buddha's teachings, it actually plays a pretty significant role. It was a turning point in the development of his own practice when he realized that he'd been afraid of pleasant experiences, including joy. And so joy is not only one of these four Brahmavihara, as you may know, it's also one of the seven factors of awakening. And in that context, it takes a form of rapture or pity in Pali. And joy is also one of the factors that come up in states of deep concentration. So joy is all through the lists of the Buddha's teachings. Having said that, for some people still, and perhaps particularly in times like these, which I've heard referred to as polycrisis, multiple crisis, it can seem naive or ridiculous or selfish to even consider cultivating joy when our survival as a species is under threat as well as the survival of so many other species that we share this planet with. So we have these environmental and climate crises, and every day we're exposed to horrifying news from all around the world out there, but also in our own communities and in our own families. There are so many different forms of social injustice and oppression and violence. And it's easy to get pulled into despair and legitimately ask, how can cultivating joy even be possible or relevant in times like these? Now, I can't answer that question for any of you, but in my own practice, it's precisely because there's so much suffering in the world that I've needed to consciously make the time and effort to turn towards non-suffering, towards gladness, towards joy, to restore myself so that I can then turn again into facing into these difficulties. And this is why I've paired mudita with the energy of renewal, refreshment, because it can uplift and inspire us when life confronts us with its challenges. So cultivating joy can be a challenging practice for many people, and the benefits are equally powerful. So how do we actually do that as a meditation practice? Just for context, I'll give you the way that it's traditionally taught in the insight tradition. And then I'd like to bring in a different method, which, as far as we know, is a little closer to how Mudita was practiced at the time of the Buddha. So first, the traditional method, which you may be familiar with, it actually comes from a later Buddhist text known as the Vasudhimaga, which was compiled about a thousand years after the lifetime of the Buddha. And this text is where the reciting phrases method of practice comes from. 
So as you know, for each Brahmavihara, we, in that method, we silently recite phrases that are designed to evoke either kindness or compassion, appreciative joy or equanimity. And that's a little bit what we did yesterday when I brought in the phrases for compassion. I'm aware of this pain. I care about this pain. May this pain release. May you know peace. Now, when it comes to mudita, the traditional phrases are statements that are just orienting us to happiness, to the other's happiness. So, I'm happy that you're happy. Very simple. May your happiness and joy continue. May your happiness continue to grow. May your good fortune shine. So, usually it's just one of those sentences. And we recite that for someone we're close to who's enjoying good fortune, then a benefactor, a neutral person, a so-called difficult person, then lastly, all beings. The idea is to start where the mudita comes most naturally and then gradually expand to include more challenging categories of people and then eventually to feel a sense of mudita for all living beings. Now, just to say we're encouraged to start easily and to start small. So mudita doesn't have to be some kind of big ecstatic bliss state. It can be very light, fleeting, subtle. And so if for you the word joy can feel like a stretch, as it did for me, I have to acknowledge I don't think I ever used the word joy until I first came into contact with the Dharma. It just wasn't part of the family and the culture that I grew up in to talk about joy, let alone experience it. So we all have our cultural conditioning. And if for you the word joy feels difficult, you can think of it as gladness, appreciation, gratitude, contentment, lightness, that's why I use leave the word mudita untranslated, so you can put in whatever flavor of joy makes sense for you. Okay, so that's the usual way of cultivating mudita, which developed from later on in the Buddhist tradition. As far as we can tell, the way mudita was practiced at the time of the Buddha was through what's come to be known as that radiating energy method of practice. And I know some of you here have done that with Bhikkhu Analio, who's the German scholar practitioner who's done a lot of research around this. And he offers meta practice in this form of radiating energy. And the way we do that is just tune in to the energy of meta or mudita in this case, just wordlessly finding that energy and then letting it radiate outwards in all directions. And this comes from a sutta or discourse called the suffusion with the divine abidings. And again, some of you may know that because it's often chanted in monasteries like Amravati, it's sometimes chanted on retreat too. And it goes through each of these four Brahmavihara in turn with the same set of instructions. So I'll read you just the section on mudita. And in this form, mudita is translated simply as gladness. There's no sense that it has to be gladness for anybody else. So the text says, I will abide pervading one quarter with a heart imbued with gladness. 
So quarter here means a compass direction. Likewise, the second, likewise, the third, likewise, the fourth. So above and below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself, I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a heart imbued with gladness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. So that's where the radiating energy method of mudita comes from. Because we have these different ways of doing it, for me at least, it gives me permission to be creative and to explore my own ways into this practice. As I said the other night, I don't think it's possible to accidentally develop too much kindness or compassion or joy or equanimity. And this is because wisdom supports all of these Brahma Vihara to stay healthy and balanced. So in the next guided meditation, I'm going to invite us to, I'm going to experiment practicing mudita similar to how Bhikkhu Analio offers metta. And he does this by starting with bringing to mind an image or an experience that very naturally brings up a quality of mudita. So something simple and easy that just when you think of it, boom, there's a little uplift of mudita. So some examples you might consider. Maybe you have a baby, a, a grandchild, or a niece or nephew, and you saw the joy of that baby taking its first ever step. Maybe you're in the park and you saw a dog catching a ball mid-air and you sense that dog's delight. Maybe you have a cat that's snoozing in the sun and you can just feel that ease and contentment. Now in the Northern Hemisphere, it's spring for you all, so I think spring is mudita season. So you might just think of a, a daffodil emerging from the ground or the apple blossoms on the trees. You might bring to mind your favorite place in nature and that sense of ease, of inspiration, gratitude when you're there. So when I give the instructions in a moment, I'll refer to this as your mudita icon. And I'll just give you a moment now to see if you can audition and maybe find something that might work as your mudita icon. So hopefully you have something now. Just keep it simple. Don't get too caught up in trying to find the perfect thing. Just maybe an apple tree blossom or something like that. So we start to mind by bringing this mudita icon and then notice the energy in the heart center and imagining that energy of mudita as a kind of a warm golden light. And then using this template of the four quarters, we invite that energy to radiate out to the front, into the side, to the back, to the other side, above, below. And so ultimately we're abiding, as it says in the sutta, pervading the all-encompassing world with a heart imbued with gladness. So that's just the overview. Let's, uh, let's give that a try now, see how it goes. <laughs> 